This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. This is the BBC. Hello, I'm Anita Arnand and thank you for downloading BBC Radio 4's Any Answers, the sister programme to Any Questions. Good afternoon and welcome to Any Answers. The Brexit mutineers, that's what the headlines said they were, but what do you make of the Tories defying their leaders' Brexit aspirations? Are they heroes or are they villains to you? Uh, Also, do you agree with our Prime Minister that we need an absolute full stop, a concrete date of leaving? regardless of what that means to, let's say, trade, jobs, Northern Ireland security. What are your feelings on that issue, right? Also, uh, we can talk about education. Are you being asked for money to keep your, your state school running? Do give us a call if you have dipped into your pocket of late, if you're a teacher, if you're a head teacher, indeed, if you are a pupil at a school and you're having to go back home with little chitties of paper saying, we need to buy pencils, I'd love to hear from you. Maybe you think that this is an imagined problem and actually budgets need to be handled in a different way. Either way, you are welcome on this programme, 03700 100 444. High-speed rail, we can talk about the priorities that the government has. Are they your priorities? Do you live in a rural part of the country where travel is tricky? Uh, get in touch with us. And do we expect too much from figures in the public eye? Um, I've got this from Steve Brooks, who's often a contributor to the programme. I don't expect higher values from people in public life, says Steve, but I'd like them not to steal or grope like I don't. 03700 100 444 is the number to call. You can text 84844. You can tweet using the hashtag BBCAQ. I think the greatest amount of traffic, though, coming in on this question of schools and school funding. So let's begin there. And Rob Freeth, uh, calling from Hebden Bridge, you are our first caller. Good afternoon, Rob. Afternoon. Hello. Hi there. So right. tell me, you were actually at any questions with, with Jonathan last night. Um, I was, and I'd just like to sort of express how dispiriting I found Owen, Owen Patterson's response to the uh, question about school funding. I mean, as so often happens with Conservative MPs, he seemed determined to, def- to put narrow party interest ahead of the sort of interest of, of the nation's children. And he, uh, in answering the question, or attempting to answer the question about school funding cuts, he completely ignored the real issue, which is the amount of money each school receives in real terms for each individual school, the, the, the per-pupil funding mm. for schools. And he deflected that uh, the, his answer a way to talk about the, um, the, the the way in which the government has protected the overall budget and indeed increased it slightly, completely ignoring the fact that that budget has to be sliced into ever more uh, pieces, thinner pieces, because we've got increasing pupil numbers, we've got increasing costs falling on schools, partly due to increasing salaries, due to inflation, due to increasing costs for services and and, uh, the materials that schools have to buy. Um, All of that has meant that the amount of money that is going into schools per pupil has been drastically reduced. I mean, you you sound like you sort of have drilled down into this a lot. Is that because you are actually in the teaching profession? I've recently retired from headship and I'm still very much involved with um, head teachers within the Calderdale uh, area through the National Association of Head Teachers. And what are they telling you? What are they telling you that they are having to juggle or do without? 
Well, there's, there's great concerns about um, just making the budget balance. Um, I know in schools that uh, you know I've, I've been involved in as, as a governor and uh, working alongside head teachers, uh, head teachers are actually finding it very, very hard just to meet the sort of everyday needs of the children. So what it's meaning is that they're having to look at uh, staffing. I'm aware of one large primary school, not, not in Calderdale, but in Bradford, that's already made a considerable number of support staff redundant in order to make the budget balance. I know that is replicated uh, in other schools, both in Calderdale, Bradford, and elsewhere, indeed. Um, they're having to look at how they can cut money uh, spending on, um, on basic items, if there's any way in which that can be done. Mm-hmm. And also, they're having to turn to parents. They're having to turn to ask for grants from organisations like Rotary Clubs uh, and other fundraising groups in, the, in their own locality in order to fund... Um, any sort of additional uh, things that, that enrich education. Can I, can I put this to you, and then, and then we'll have to move on, because there are quite yeah, a few people who want sure. to talk about this, but, but since you are recently uh, a head teacher, yeah. um, there, there is a, a, a line of arguments that says actually, um, and I think this comes from an education charity you will have heard of, Impetus, mm-hmm. uh, and they say actually this move recently to universal credit could mean that more pupils will become eligible for pupil premium payments, and that impetus says could add another 1.5 billion uh, to the cost of pupil premiums, but also bring in more money. Is that possible? Well, it seems to me it's not so much that they're actually increasing the uh, that more money is going to be brought in. It's going to be more a reallocation of the existing cake. Um, I don't. Everything we seem to have um, to had to uh, fund. Uh, including, you know, the recent sort of uh, 1% to 2% increase in teacher salaries has, has involved a reallocation of the global sum. I mean, uh, Owen Patterson referred to, um, you know, as, as well as... The, it referred to the funding formula, mm. which he says has been, again, deflecting attention from the real issue of per-pupil funding. Um the the, the 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 formula, no matter how good it is, is uh, is of no use if we haven't if the global sum of money allocated to education is not sufficient. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right, Rob. Thank you very much indeed for your call. Oh three seven hundred one hundred four 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 is the number. Uh, this from Chris Masalanka. I've just bought one thousand five hundred sheets of paper and fifty pencils for under a tenner. How hard can it be to ki- give kids the material they need? Joe Hugh has been in touch. If you've had your children in an ordinary school in North America, the idea British parents depend on schools to give pupils pens and exercise books sounds a bit immature. Uh, that they're outraged at paying their own children's minor cost is surprising, says Joe. Maximilian says it is very odd that the Tories always manage to find money for what they consider important, even though they claim we have none. I'm thinking of the DUP and the Prime Minister's desperation to stay in power. Let's take another call. Rianne Morgan is calling us from High Barnet in London. Good afternoon, Rianne. Hi. Hi. What did you want to say? My daughters have been educated in the state system all the way through and they left about three or four years ago and all the way through we were asked for money and that's in leafy high barnet where you wouldn't think there was that much of a problem. But it has got a lot worse and I don't think anything brought it home to me more clearly than when I was buying my A-level English books for my younger daughter three or four years ago and she had a friend from Eton here and he was boasting about his school's charitable status. Now, if the Chancellor wants to get some money next week, he could look at getting £522 million 
in business tax rebates that the private schools are going to be receiving in the next five years. Mm. I'm just uh, interested as well that, I mean, you say, and just correct me if you're wrong, your kids are now in their 20s, early yes, 20s, yeah. So I'm just sort of calculating back, and you were being asked for money when they were going to school. Are we well, talking? They were in primary school. Primary school. And it, they went to an excellent school. Yeah, comprehensive. But, but but what I'm thinking is they that were, was that given, was, was that during? I mean, would that have been during the? I'm trying to do maths in my head, and that's never a good thing. I can't do two things at once; it's a disaster. But it, we're talking well, about during about the Blair 19, years, yes. About Nineteen years ago. Yes. Nineteen years ago. So this yes. is during Tony Blair's education, education, education period. So what if somebody turns around and says, "This is just the way it always has been." It is, and it will continue to be, that parents will have to chip in from time to time. It happened during Blair's reign. It's happening during May's reign. It will happen in whoever's reign is next. I think it has always happened, but it's a matter of degree. We used to send pens to children in Africa. Now children in Berkshire are sending home for extra equipment. It, it's just getting worse, and I don't think Owen Patterson acknowledged that in the slightest. OK, Rian, thank you very much for your call. Uh, some more on the texts and tweets as well, getting very lively. Julie says, Our socio-economic well-being depends on the good health and education of our citizens and our government seems to resent this. Uh, another one here, Sarah Hemming. Schools are cutting subjects too. Our, lo- our local school now teaches no languages at A-level. Another call, Tim from Hertfordshire. Hello, Tim. Hi, how are you? I'm all right, thank you, Tim. What did you want to say? So this is... This is- you know, fundamentally, I believe that primary schools do the very best with the budgets they have. But let's be clear, this is a cross-party issue. It's not pinned to any individual party. But I do agree that our children, they are our future. My children will finish primary school, I think, just in time listening to what I've heard today. Um, but the challenge fundamentally came from decentralisation. This is a significant factor in the inefficient use of money in schools. It, they are effectively bleeding to death in so many ways. Um, we could look at you know many business examples of how you know efficiencies can be brought through organizing things as a single business rather than fifty five thousand businesses. The other thing is that um, small school budgets are a challenge if you're a school smaller than a one form entry, which is seven classes or two hundred and thirty pupils you're going to have a head teacher for that role, but then if you have a you know seventy eighty children in the school you're also going to have a head teacher both getting paid a similar amount of money, which is inefficient. Unfortunately, every single school is fighting an individual fight, which leads to their governing bodies also thinking this way. What we need to do is we need to get centralised, government-led um, school sizes. Mm. Um, well, we used to call, we used to call them LEAs, didn't we? Local education authorities, which used to have a great deal of sort of centralising. I mean, not if not in one place, but in local areas, taking a yes, sort of central absolutely. nervous system role. T- tell me, Tim. I mean, you, what are you basing your observations on? Um, so over the years, I've worked in, in a number of schools. Um, at one point, I was working in around 20 schools, and I was seeing it from um, an outsider's perspective. But as a teacher? I'm sorry, I'm just trying to get an idea of where no, in the strata you were, that's all. Um, I, was, I was consulting. Right, OK. Yes. Um, but, but the other factor is, and it's really important, most people don't realise this, we need to make budgets real-time. Currently, primary schools especially working a year behind in terms of their budget, so they... A primary school today will be working off the figures they had the previous year. So sometimes that works in the school's benefit. Other times it works as a, as a strain, so if the numbers change. So schools are having to mess with that as well, and they shouldn't be having to deal with it. Mm. Some schools are able to claim VAT back. Other schools are not able to claim VAT back, and they're both government-funded schools. We need to centralise, standardise, so that we can allow our schools and teachers to focus on education. If they don't do this, 
then yeah. ultimately it's never going to get fixed. You will remember when LEAs were done away with, one of the main reasons given was that it was too blunt an instrument, that actually schools were different. They had different catchment areas, different demands placed on them, and that to have this sort of blunt uh, stricture of working just wasn't good and it and it just made head teachers tear their hair out we were told because they had to do what they were told rather than what they thought their pupils needed but that's the key thing though um, what we need to do is we need to enable the infrastructure of the business to be run centrally allowing the head teacher because they are a head teacher they're not a head member of, they're, not, they're not a head staff they're the head teacher allow the head teacher to focus on education allow the teachers to focus on education not running their individual business let the LEA or central government, whoever it is, mm. run okay. business. Okay, Tim, grateful for your call. Thank you very much. 03700 100 444. Uh, where do schools get their supplies from? Is it like the NHS, where a light bulb costs £15, says one uh, person on Twitter, uh, Yarab. Uh, Craig says, educating the kids is the best long-term investment a, a country can make. Uh, this one here, if parents can't even afford pens and papers or a packed lunch, then why on earth are they having children? Do they think it's free? People need to take responsibility and stop relying on others to fund their lifestyle, says Josh. If you've got something to say about that, 03700 100 444 is the number to call. Jean Wilkins is calling us. Hello, Jean. Hello. Hi, what did you want to say? Um, well, my, my uh, point was in response to a comment last night about schools cutting uh, the creative subjects, the arts, out of their curriculum. Mm-hmm. And I've recently had a wonderful experience, an opportunity to go to Argentina. I was asked to contribute a chapter to a book about some experimental schools over there. The first one was set up in 1959 by a remarkable woman, Dorothy Ling, who in the 1920s had been an organ scholar at Cambridge, but then by marrying someone who lived in Spain, moving out to Argentina, she became involved out there. She was, at the time, she was worried about the ways in which education were going. She was worried about the lack of creativity. And she set up an experimental school in 1959 based on an, with, uh, an, an artist, a musician and a dancer. These schools have quietly grown, and there are now 33 of them across Argentina. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate to be able to spend a week in, uh, in those schools. I mean, uh, it, 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 I, I'm, it sounds like it sounds like a, a time, a, a fantastic um, time in a professional life. But what do we take away from what okay. you saw and what you learned that that would be applicable so, and relevant here? I've recently retired as an education advisor in this country, and I know schools are very concerned about the pressure they're under to achieve high targets about the mental health that they're uh, dealing with issues with children. What I came away from in these schools was an over, uh, overwhelming sense of the calm, constant bearing of the pupils, especially the secondary-age pupils. They were mature, they were self-aware, they were content. Uh, and happy, where, do, and where does that come kids. from, Jean? I'm, so, I'm sorry to rush you, because there are lots of yeah, other callers. Where does that come sorry, from? Yeah, Because everything they do is, is based in, in knowing themselves, their place in the universe, it's based on creativity, on art. They have a sense of self. They have a sense of how they link to their world, to their culture, where they where they fit in with them, where they fit in. They learn a vast library of poems, songs and dances that are linked to the cultures on which we've been built. 
Um, and this seems to sustain them. Many of the adults now are um, have gone through the schools and are sending their children to these schools. Mm-hmm. And they're calm be- beings. They do well. They never, ever test the children in these schools. They refuse mm-hmm. to give them a number or a label at any point. But many of them go to university and achieve very well and go on to okay. work so, so, lives. Right. So, so I, I take on board the fact that they have a different, perhaps, teaching ethos in, in those schools in South America that you've seen or in Argentina. What about funding, though? Um, do they have enough money to do this? Do they need more money? Where no. does the money come from? What do we see from that? They struggle. They are now part of the school system. They have been since the 80s. But the schools do not operate with any sense of hierarchy, so they only employ teachers. Um, everybody in the school does the work. The children and the teachers all clean up the schools. They help prepare food. Uh, there are no secretaries, no cleaners, um, and, and everybody takes responsibility for the mess they make and cleans it up. Okay. They're forever short of money. They keep the class sizes very small, they train their own teachers um, and they work as hard as teachers do here, but they love their jobs because they feel they're very fulfilling and they see the results in okay. the students. OK, thank you so much um, for sharing that with us. That's Jean. Uh, 03700 100 444 is the number to call. Uh, this here, I'm a governor at a small rural primary school in Oxfordshire. The funding crisis is real. Funds per pupil are reducing at a rate where no amount of parent-funded paper and pencils will help. We're talking big sums of money that will result in staff cuts. Paolo says, why is it so outrageous to con- contribute a few quids worth of paper and pens to your child's education? Stephanie says, people will complain about schools being underfunded, but will pitch a fit if you suggest that taxes need to go up. Let's take another call on this. James Turtle is calling us from Richmond. Hello. Hello. Hello, is that Richmond, Yorkshire, Richmond, Surrey? No, Richmond, Surrey. Right, yeah. OK, James, so tell me, um, what did you want to add to this? Well, I heard in the publicity for, for your uh, Any Questions programme that there's a suggestion that the stories or some of the stories of parent contributions uh, to schools um, are politically motivated. And I just wanted to give you an example of one in my own borough, the London borough of Richmond-upon-Thames, which I expect is one of the most wealthy uh, boroughs in the country, uh, where my grandson's uh, uh, primary school uh, last year, uh, the parents uh, scraped together uh, a princely sum of £25,000 uh, for various work that needed to be done in the school. Um, and this year, they're on track probably to do to raise about the same amount, um, upgrading toilets, for example, which are going to cost £20,000. They're contributing £11,000 of that. Uh, replacing a gate, uh, replacing chairs in uh, classrooms, years one and two, and upgrading interactive whiteboards. Um, So it seems to be a a real problem. Yeah, I mean, these were some sort of a little capital expenditure rather than uh, pencil and papers. Absolutely, yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, what do we take away from that, James? Well, we take away, of course, that they're underfunded, um, whether it's from central government or uh, via... Um, local authorities uh, from central government. I, I don't know. I don't know enough about mm. the funding of education. I'm afraid. Did um, you Did you hear Stephanie? I read a tweet from Stephanie who just said, uh, I think the phrase she used. You know, people people all throw up their hands when uh, talking about parents having to pitch in. But then I think her phrase was pitch a fit when they're asked to pay more taxes. Yes, so, exactly. Well, I, I've tried to persuade my own uh, borough uh, to uh, to raise uh, council tax, for example. Um, we must have a, a very large proportion of very expensive houses in our borough. Um, but over the years, they've done absolutely nothing except recently with a 2% increase for social care. 
uh, which isn't going to be enough of that anyway. So, so um, you you actually wrote to Richmond and said, please take right. more take more from us. I, I think I, it was it was in some sort of survey that they were they were pushing around, and uh, yeah, I suggested that we should uh, we should actually pay pay more on council tax, which which everybody huge numbers of people in the borough could afford to pay, uh-huh. myself included. Yeah. Uh, and and how many of your neighbours agree with you and your point of view? I haven't discussed it. I think mm. many of them would, yes. Yeah, okay. I, I haven't discussed that particular point mm. with them. Interesting, yeah. very interesting. James, thank you very much. Catherine Fisher's calling us from Brighton. Hello there, Catherine. Hi. Hi. You're, now, you're part of a parents group. Tell us about the parents group that you're part of. So we're a bunch of parents in Brighton and Hove who are trying to raise awareness about the cuts that are happening. So I think that um, head teachers historically have done a really good job of... of of covering up the cuts that they're dealing with all the time. But now we're beginning to see them speaking out. We know that 5,000 head teachers wrote to the Chancellor this week. To, yeah, oh, and it was so a substantial... I think it was 4,000, but still very substantial. Take the point, substantial number. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. So we're just trying to um, uh, make sure everybody knows about these cuts that are going on and talking to people about them and showing what huge opposition there is and how unhappy parents are about the cuts that are being made to their children's education. And how is it reflecting in, in your part of the world? Well, we did a survey of uh, of the heads in Brighton and Hove, so um, other people have been talking sort of about the experience that they've had. We've got some quite solid information about this. So of the 70 schools in Brighton, 50 of the heads responded. And we've got some... It, it's scary. It's really scary. So um, 88% have already cut staff. That's what they told us in the survey. So we're not talking about... I find all this stuff about pencils and paper a bit disingenuous because this is massive cuts that that, that schools are having to make but 94% have cut things like books, equipment, software computers, things like digital licences for programmes We've also found that 64% have cancelled building work and repairs. So people are talking about sort of screwing windows shut rather than replacing them and um, you know, leaking roofs, not replacing toilets. And I don't know if you remember the school toilets at school, but they kind of shape your experience of a school. Mm. But I think the thing about staff, staffing is so dramatic. So they're cutting teaching assistants. So 66% have cut teaching assistants, and that particularly impacts on, on children with um, sort of special and additional needs. Mm-hmm. But they've also, 40% say they've cut inclusion or special needs staff. So this is really hitting kids hard. Um, right. Well, Catherine, thank you for calling. Uh, Andy Rogers calling us from Cumbria. Andy, good afternoon. Definitely. Yeah, did you do you heard Catherine saying, look, actually this is this is not we're not talking pencils and papers here, we're talking about staff and we're talking I thought that was very startling about not fixing a window but actually just nailing it shut because it's cheaper. Yes, I couldn't agree more. I've got three children in high school. It's recently become an academy and my wife is also a primary school teacher. Staff is being cut to the bone and passed to the bone. That means that the teachers who remain are overworked, are suffering stress are going off with stress and lessons have been taught more and more, as far as I can see, by cover staff. That's impacting the children's education severely. Mm. And as far as the pens and paper, etc. stuff goes, as a parent, we are paying more every year for things which were previously funded to, in quotes, voluntary contributions for field trips, etc. and books. So, so one of the one of the points made by somebody on the program just a little while ago, somebody ringing from um, the very affluent part of the world, Richmond in Surrey, said actually, yeah. you know, the only way to fund this because there is a greater demand is to pay more tax. Do you agree? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, 
All right. Yes, I, I dis- because I disagree with the man who was on earlier who prompted me to phone who said that you shouldn't have children if you can't afford to fund them. Oh, that was a text. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Now, well, yes. What do you say um, to him? Because I'm almost certainly still listening. What do you want to say to him? Well, when you have children, you don't know what's going to happen government-wise 15 years down the line. And if we didn't have children, there wouldn't be a future for the country. My three children hopefully will go on to become very... become net contributors to society and they must be educated to fulfil that role in the future Mm. perhaps to his benefit also Okay, Andy, thank you very much for that Uh, Let's take a couple more of your thoughts and we will move on uh, to Brexit This here is from Alan Instead of asking parents for money for their schools head teachers should be asking them to spend more time helping their children at home They should be asked to monitor and discuss all work the children do at school and spend at least an hour a week going over a specific aspect of learning They should encourage their children with their schoolwork, ensure they're always conscientious, well-behaved in the classroom. Promoting a culture of learning which starts in the home is a far better way to improve education than pouring yet more money into schools, as three of the panellists are advocating. Uh, This one here, 50 quid's enough for books and paper. I was at a grammar school in the 50s and all our book supply had already been done... Uh, had done had already done about 20 years of service. We were required to respect our textbooks. In fact, we were required to apply fresh brown paper sleeves every time they were issued, says Max Chapel. So one more on this. Uh, Bruce Reed from Newton Abbott in Devon. Um, I don't know whether you covered your books in brown paper or not, Bruce, but... Um... No, Anita, I didn't. Oh, OK. I no. did. I did. I remember. Um, but, yes, tell <laughs> me, tell me, tell me, what do you make of this so far? Um, I First of all, I have a great deal of sympathy for all of the teachers um, who work incredibly hard in uh, state education. But when you look at the figures um, that the IFS, the Institute of Fiscal Studies, supply, they say at secondary school level, the government, central government spending per pupil is £6,300 per annum. That excludes any extra spending by local authorities. Well, I can go to the local private school and for secondary education i can send my i don't but i could send my child there for four thousand pounds per annum so the state education is costing over 50 percent more and they're still complaining that they're lacking in resources it sounds like inefficiency of management to me not in the teachers Mm -hmm. I, i don't think they deserve another penny the teachers deserve all support they can get somewhere along the line typical government management is appalling okay thank you very much that's bruce reed uh we, we're going to move on and i know this is a subject we're going to come back to so i do apologize if you didn't get on this week but um there are uh, a, a fair few people it was an important week when it came to brexit because uh, an almighty row broke out i don't know if you remember on tuesday as mps began debating the european union withdrawal bill Uh, in depth for the first time. So we've got a date now from the government. They wanted to enshrine uh, this date, uh, 23 hours, 11 o'clock in in new money, on the 29th of March, 2019. What do you make of all of this? Uh, Roger Kendrick is calling from Beaconsfield. Hello, Roger. Good afternoon. Hi there. Now, tell me, um, you live in... You live in Dominic Green's constituency. I I live in a village near Beaconsfield, uh, in Dominic Green's constituency, that's correct. Okay, all right. And so, uh, I don't know whether that influences the way you feel or not about this, but what... Well, I... Sorry. Yes, go on. Right, well, I think it's very simple what the government... I think the the mutineers are wrong. I mean, if the government uh, doesn't fix a fixed date 
fix a date for Brexit, which is absolutely cast iron. The EU will just run the negotiations and run it and run it and run it because they do not want us to leave the European Union. And it plays into their hands not to have a fixed date. I think the second thing is that the EU, the EU is going to... They, they're quite clear about it. What they want to do is force us to agree the, the payment we make for leaving, but they will not agree a trade agreement until after, the, uh, after we leave. They've made that quite clear. So what they're trying to do is to get our money without a trade agreement. And then they, the third thing they're going to do is to say, well, you can only have a trade agreement if, if you stay within or if under the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice. OK, and so so the way... That, I mean, I'm, I'm just curtailing you because I... Well, Roger, I'm not cutting you off. Stay, stay, stay. But uh, what okay. what you're suggesting, just I'm just trying to praise it so I can get Gillian on as well, is that this is almost putting a... throwing a gauntlet down, saying, right... You have got to, EU, now concentrate. I think Owen Patterson said it would be a contraction in a way. Concentrate on what you're doing because we're not messing around here. Let's bring Gillian Vance in. Gillian, meet Roger. Roger Kendrick, Gillian Vance. Hi, Roger. Uh, Gillian, Hi. so do, do you agree with Roger that, look, you just have to, if you're negotiating, you have to have a strong position, otherwise I'll walk all over you? Well, um, I don't agree with Roger. It doesn't, won't surprise you having, um, having seen what I said originally. Um, but, no... Um, the reason that the EU are saying that they want to agree our financial obligations before speaking trade is because that's the agenda which was set at the very outset of these talks. And if David Davis and Theresa May and the rest of the Cabinet don't want to agree to that agenda, they shouldn't have agreed to it in June. They did agree to it. OK, let Roger come back. OK, you want to stick to Roger. Well, I, think, I think it was a mistake to agree the agenda, but at the end of the day, we are where we are. And I think the only thing that Theresa May can do is to say, no, we're not going to put any more money on the table. We're not going to agree anything in Ireland until we know what the trade deal is. And if you don't give us the green light to start trade negotiations, which can be agreed before the 29th of March 2019, yeah. we will leave on WTO and we will okay. pay nothing. Roger, you, you are talking about green lights, but I am very, very close to getting a red light now because time is against us. So sorry if you were one of the people who rang up who wanted to have your say and you didn't get on. Let me just read a few of your texts in contrition. The EU can't give us all the benefits of EU membership without us being members or under EU laws or every country would leave. EU acts in its own interests, says Julie. Shock horror. The EU can dictate pretty much whatever it likes. That's the thing about clout. That's all we've got time for. See you next week. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Any Answers. Don't forget, if you want to hear any questions or you'd like to invite the programme to your venue, then please go to the BBC Radio 4 website and search for any questions. I'm Anita Arnand. Thank you for listening. This is the BBC.